Hi, everyone. Welcome to Oscar Poker with Sasha Stone from awardsdaily.com and Jeffrey Wells from hollywood-elsewhere.com. Hi, Jeff. Hello, everyone. How is everybody doing? We're doing fine. Um, okay. <laughs> um, all right. So Jeff- anyway, I'm at a I'm at a restaurant called Craft C R A F T. I'm outdoors in sweltering William Faulkner heat, and um, I'm not. But uh, and I had to go to try in, in like four different places to hook up with the Wi-Fi and everything. But this is the best option so far. And let's hope. Let's let's pray. I can't go to my usual spot, which is the Wilton Library, which is a beautiful environment with perfect air conditioning, magnificent Wi-Fi, the best little work um, um, spaces you could possibly ask for. It's the greatest place to to be in my life. I've never been in a place more wonderful than that library. Hmm. So anyway, here we are. Yeah. Um, What's it like? And, it I'm, uh, and we were. Huh? What's a Connecticut library like? Is it old-fashioned? No, no, it's not. It's completely, it's like it was designed by some gifted, uh, uh, centered, uh, spiritually together architect uh, maybe 15 years ago, 20 years ago. It's really nice. It's not moldy or anything. It's extremely uh, clean and sleek and it has a whole section for kids, and it has a whole section. They have a little theater where little tiny concerts happen. Uh, Darius Brubeck uh, and uh, the, the son of Dave Brubeck and his uh, band played there not too long ago. They have mm. a guy who was a kind of a Frank Sinatra impersonator who gives concerts. And nice little, you know, they have string quartets. Extremely nice. It's a very nice haven from the hurly-burly of things. Mm. Very, very nice. That's anyway, awesome. we're talking about uh, the, 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 the opening topic, which I'll get into very briefly, is a little film that nobody has apparently been paying very much attention to, but it opened on, uh, last, last Friday, and it's called Jules, uh, G-J-U-L-E-S, and it's basically an E.T. for old people movie, the three old people are uh, Ben Kingsley, he's the principal guy, his name is Milton, and Jane Curtin is the second older person, and the third older person is, of course, someone whose name is slipping my memory, which is a perfectly appropriate thing, given that it's about people see with uh, senior moments, oh, but yeah. I'm, um, I'm, I'm sorry to be saying that I can't remember her name, but it'll come back, it'll come back, and she, and the whole thing is very, very sweet and pleasant. I can't say it's especially clever or, or ex- exceptional in terms of it's not, it's not riveting. Some guy's staring at me. Um, he doesn't like that I'm talking alone. Uh, okay, anyway, so the long and the short is that Jules is a very pleasant, um, easy film that uh, I was glad to, uh, to watch. I didn't have any particular problems with. And... Uh, so it's it's not bad, you know. It's not a it's not something that you're going to um, rave to people about, but it's perfectly uh, agreeable. Oh, here we go. Uh, it's uh, here's my review. It's called Gentle Parenting Fable, uh, and it's about an alien visiting uh, this guy's home, and the alien is played by a woman named Jade Kwan, and and you kind of sense that she her gender is female. They're not very clear about gender but one presumes that she's female and the woman that I could whose name I couldn't remember her name is Harriet Sampson Harris or just simply Harriet Harris and she's really wonderful she's got all this empathy and warmth and and it's it's really about parenting it's just about this 
little life form that needs help and, and assistance and food and a place to stay while she repairs her little flying saucer oh. so she can return. I mean, compared to E.T., this is not very complex or interesting. It's mm. uh, my idea, by the way, which I shared with a mutual friend of ours, a critic friend, is that instead of um, Jules being a kind of a doddering, getting older, forgetting things uh, type of fellow, he's actually an ex-criminal who has uh, found God and become a born-again Christian, and or maybe it's gotten into some peaceful state by way of therapy. But the point is that he used to be kind of a bad guy, but he's been living a different life. He's changed his life. And yet his protective instincts towards this alien living with him come out, and he becomes more and more cagey and a little more... Uh, a little more sociopathic in his uh, dealings with people. And, and, and right away, the friend said, now that's a movie. That's interesting. A guy, it would, be, it would be a little bit like Clint Eastwood's character, who used to be a gunslinger, and he sees, sees himself as a man of peace. He, um, his, his bad guy part uh, comes out when they do that job in Unforgiven. Mm-hmm. Remember in 93, the Clint Eastwood thing? Sure. So that was interesting. Yeah, so that could have been a little more, but they're determined to make it something like a cuddly bear movie, something that makes you feel good with a cup of hot cocoa, one of those movies. Um, uh, I once had a, um, a sci-fi story I wanted to write. I still want to write it, but this was before, obviously before the world changed in 2016 and then yeah, changed yeah. again in 2020 um, in increasingly worse <laughs> states to have changed. My thing was that we were finally going to contact Intelligent Life. And I was going to do it from the point of view of a podcaster, and I was going to do it as a podcast series, and I was going to be the girl discovering this thing. And, it and how was, does you're, in other words, it's about you. So, what, how, how do you happen to find or make contact with the Intelligent Life? Well, uh, it's, it's, it's a person who's called in. T- um, I'm not really sure. I hadn't worked that part out, but, but the point of it was was it was going to be a well-meaning person who was very, you know, uh, socially justice, social justice oriented, very, you know, a wokester, basically, a do-gooder mm-hmm. of the left, a good Puritan. And she would be reporting on this story of these aliens that come down and she gets press credentials to go see them. And anyway, the, the aliens would be like, ever, you know, just too offensive to show to the to, to the to the freaked out people on the left, for instance, the scientists, the government, meaning that they would, they would break rules of morality that, you know, and, and I was going to decide what those were. One of them was, I thought, you know, like flatulence coming out of their face, (laughs) um, was one of them. And, and, (laughs) and this idea of like eating, eating people who were, um, you know, people who were bothersome, they, they just consumed them at this part. You know, like weird stuff like that that would make them really uncomfortable about releasing this to the public, you know, because it would go against. And those are just the ones I thought of way back when I first started. This right. is, That was way before everything went crazy. So now it would be obviously offending the politically correct um, mm-hmm. in ways that, you know. So they would be they would have to choose between their ideology and science, right? The scientific breakthrough and their their ideology. And and what would they do? Well, I think they would probably rather not have aliens visit that were politically incorrect in, in, in such a way than to embrace science and say, okay, we understand that's just how they are. 
and we have mm. to accept that. But it would have to be really offensive, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, <laughs> so, but I just like the idea uh. of putting them in that position of having to make that choice, you know, yeah. between these two things. Um, and I, you know, it just was kind of kicking around in my head. I never really mm. developed it or anything, but I always thought it would be fun. To, like, I wouldn't do a story about an alien like this movie you're talking about if there wasn't really a point to it, you know? Well, the point is that this is a, uh, a, a an adventure, if you will, that happens to these three people, um, Ben Kingsley in particular, uh, in which uh, they get, there's a kind of an opening up uh, emotionally, uh, spiritually. You know, they have, they're living these rather mundane, unexceptional, uh, not terribly exciting, uh, not inventive, not creative lives, but, you know, just maintaining a lifestyle, if you will, which a lot of people do when they get older. Hmm. And it's uh, and it adds adventure. It adds intrigue. Uh, they're you know they're they're more alive because of this. And I that's what I basically took it as. And it's it doesn't get any more complex than that. Yeah. And uh, and the whole uh, thing about you know, remember in ET there are government people who are kind of sniffing around. And they sense that there's something happening inside uh, Henry's house with D Wallace. That is barely developed, and, and it's not very intriguing, frankly. Uh, the way they do it, but it's a, it's a nice little film, and it certainly is not going to harm anybody. And I didn't feel burned or anything. And there was interesting. I was seeing it with a there was myself and Jody, and there was about fifteen, maybe more uh, people from um, a Down syndrome community who were sitting behind us. And during the uh, the trailers, they were really whooping up and getting very excited by all the you know the stimulation they were seeing from the various trailers. And my immediate thought was, uh-oh, you know, they're going to do this all through the film and it's going to be distracting. But as soon as Jules began, they all settled down and were completely quiet and Aww. wrapped and, and absolutely, you know, into it, you know, just letting That's it happen. That's so sweet. Oh, my yeah. goodness. I can't nice. believe that, how sweet yeah. that is. Um, you know, that's definitely a movie for, like, the senior set. And, and the senior mm-hmm. set is actually kind of a profitable group, actually. So, um you're talking about that Jane Fonda movie that they, uh, the the one about uh, eight. What was it? It was about uh, Brady. Oh, Brady. Yeah, 80 yeah, for Brady. eighty for Brady. Right. Yeah, the, because before yeah. all of the COVID and all that happened, the um, yeah. the seniors were quite the profitable group. They were relied upon to still go to the movies. They were one of the only groups that actually did. You know, they didn't like seeing movies on TV. They liked seeing it on um, on the big screen. And so, you know, that's why there's a market for that, even still, you know. And they're used to it, and they have that history, as we all do. We all mm-hmm. used to think of movies as something you automatically did in theaters, and you look forward to it. It's kind of fun. Yeah. And uh, everybody just kind of lost that habit or jettisoned that habit starting in 2020. And uh, a lot of people, you, I don't know if you read that poll, but I'll let some people were questioned after seeing Barbie, and it says the first film they had seen since the um since the since the pandemic and since it ended basically in other words, a lot of people got out of the habit and they just haven't gone back to it i heard this woman on on some radio show i can't remember what it was but she was like i mean Uh you know the the sad the sad uh liberal type i don't know what other word to use um but Mm -hmm. you know just like wanted to see barbie so bad that she rented out a theater 
And she said, we're, we're just going to go in there at 9 in the morning. There's nobody working the concessions. We're all going to have KN95 masks, and no one's going to be allowed to get anything. <laughs> no drink of water, no food. We're going to watch the movie, sit uh, mm-hmm. you know, three feet apart from each other, and then we're going to yeah. get up in the movie. Sounds like a real barrel. That sounds like a real good time, doesn't it? <laughs> God. <laughs> I was like, why even bother, man? Just wait till it gets on the, the, you know, but she wanted to see it so bad. I mean, now that you got to give credit to Greta Gerwig for is that um, she was able to create something that people had to see. And that's really the only way you get people to the movies now is if it's something they have to see. And Barbie became that, you know. You know, I get beat up every day because I say two things about Barbie, which uh, you have no doubt said to friends of yours, which is that there's no ambiguity about what it's saying, which is it's radiating a good deal of contempt for, for man. There's a, I would call it the sandry, but it is also concurrently, as we all know, a pretty zippy and nifty ride. It's, it's put together. Well, it's, it's diverting. It's, it's, it's not hilarious, but it's often amusing and it's, it's sharp, you know, it's got a, a you know, it's got some edge to it. So even though it is not my idea of a film that I really think is saying a very, you know, there's no normal guys, there's no steady men in this film. They're all idiots. They're all morons. They're all children. Um, and, and or they're adults like like Will Ferrell on the board of the Mattel. And nobody has a, has a centered Zen thing going on. All the guys are jerks in one, one form or another. And because I say that, that means I don't like Barbie and I'm hating it. I, 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 I take I, it down. I said, I I'm not doing that. I keep saying, I, I, I understand what is happening here. This is a, you know, cultural event of a major uh, de- degree. And I, I didn't have a bad time with it, but I saw what it was saying. And I, you're, not, you're not allowed to say that. You, you have to say one thing or another. Either you're all in and you love it or you hate it. So I just have to say terrible. that I don't know what. Greek God hates you that they would curse you with these followers of yours, these commenters on your stuff. <laughs> it seems like it's your Black Mirror episode. The good news is you've got a website. You can say anything that you want. The bad news is every day yeah. you have to confront this mess in your... And it's really... I, I was talking to one of your commenters about it uh, recently, how... Because mm-hmm. I had gone down the rabbit hole. I mean, I had, I had read all through this one thread. And I just like... Wow, that is some really toxic, you know, yeah. S-H-I-T. You know, that was like, that was some dark stuff in the comments. Like, really dark, really weird, really mean. And so my question... Like, have you thought about maybe committing suicide? Yeah, yeah, all, all, not quite that, but no? along those lines, it's like... Or therapy, or, or, or have shock therapy, or... No, it's so you know, weird. Go to a hospital, it's like, you know... It is the strangest thing, because here they have the entire film industry... All the trades, you know, every magazine, basically they've castrated all of them so that they mm-hmm. can't say anything that isn't. Listen, AI could write every article in almost every trade right Pretty now. much. That's, that's a fair thing to say. It really is. Yeah, because you could, there's you could no. tell AI to write a, uh, you know, a, a typical review that is, that is like fair and, and, and not pointed. Yeah, uh, that you would read in Variety or Hollywood Reporter. Yes, and they could, yeah, I could do it easily. Sure. And I and I, I sent you that that Microsoft mm-hmm. thing where they showed that list of potentially offensive um, ways of speaking. Like, does it offend this group? Does it offend that group? Does it? Well, what are you guys doing? Like, where is, yeah. where are we headed? 
And so why mm-hmm. wouldn't AI take it over? Because AI doesn't take things personally. You can tell AI to write a sanitized, inoffensive. Mm-hmm. But the problem with it is that, yes, people consume their news that way, perhaps. But does mm-hmm. it do it? Is, it? is it a human being there thinking on their own? Or is it just this dogma that has replaced all of them and they just they just go into this automated mode of this is what i'm supposed to say now and if i can convert jeff if i can convert yeah. him if i can make him like me if i can make yeah. him think like me and and parrot back everything that i think then i will have succeeded in my good deed of the day and i will not stop it's like yeah. they're like missionaries basically right. um right. anyway so i just as you know, because I was text bombing you, I'm so sorry I do that sometimes, but I was text bombing you my Greta Gerwig rabbit hole experience, which was, I, you know, I, I was intrigued by her. She, if something captures my curiosity, like I have to go all the way down to the bottom of the pool. I have to know mm-hmm. everything, whether it's Watergate, World War II, or sure. Greta Gerwig. And I was perplexed by the difference between the Greta Gerwig that I saw way back when, the mumblecore woman, the one in in um, Francis Ha, which is, you know, in retrospect, a much better movie than I gave it credit for. Um, I mm. actually enjoyed it now for some reason that I, I used, to, it used to irritate me. Now it doesn't. Um, Francis Ha, but like, you know, all the stuff she used to do, the interviews she used to do, the way she used to talk and her um, kind of Greta Gerwig way. And, you, you know, it's one of these things where you you go out and, you you know, you're just kind of this awkward person. And I don't know, I'm, you know, like that sort of way of talking. Very self-effacing. Like, self-effacing. Uh, I don't really know anything, but I love the way she. She's like, I'm, I'm not really here. I'm just a grease stain yeah. on the carpet, you know. But she right. is incredibly likable as that person. And, yeah. and that's a really strong skill to have mastered from her. Yeah. And she mm-hmm. figured it out. And, and as you posted on your site, like she figured out that she couldn't be assertive and intimidating when she was young. She had to hide it. She had to act mm-hmm. like right. a Annie Hall type person so as not to offend and not to disarm and not to intimidate men and other people so that she could rise in this business, you know, as this in, inoffensive, mumblecore, beautiful, charismatic girl, awkward, funny, you know, she was just... Yeah, uh, very, and very smart in every way. And she knew very her smart. film history, and mm-hmm. she knows her interesting music, and she's really, really a great person to talk to. But she really let's is. Let's remember how the, how the fortunes changed so radically. 13 years ago, she was in a remake of Arthur, which was originally a Dudley Moore, Liza Minnelli uh, comedy with um, John Gielgud. And it was very, very big, very popular film. And uh, Liza Minnelli, of course, the unlikely girlfriend who falls in love with Arthur, the, the millionaire who's a drunk, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway. She was in Greta a, Gerwig. She, huh? the, the Russell Brand one she was in? Yeah. That oh, was God. in 2010, I believe. Maybe yeah. 2011, but I think 2010. I know that Greenberg was 2010. I think that it might be 2011. Anyway, wow. so what happens? She is playing the guy that Russell Brand will eventually fall in love with and vice versa. Wow. And and they cut her out of the poster. They had, what's her name, um, 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 who was married to Ben Affleck. Um, she was the second. Uh, she was kind of the bitch. Um, uh, Jennifer, Jennifer Lopez or, or Jennifer no, Garner? The, the previous... Uh, Jennifer Garner. Jennifer Garner. Garner, I meant to say, yes. Anyway, they put Garner and they put uh, um, Helen Mirren and, of course, Russell Brand. 
but they cut out <laughs> cut out Greta Gerwig, who's the the primary romantic uh, uh, couple uh, in this, 2011. In this, uh, this focus. And they didn't because they didn't feel that people knew her, and she was going to put seats. And these are the and I was astonished. How could they do that? She's playing the Liza Minnelli uh, figure, and yet they they put they took and I wrote a couple of things about this. Why why would they do this? She's Greta Gerwig. She's fascinating. She's she, you know she's got her own thing, and they and that's what marketing did. Well, she didn't make a big hoo-ha about it and you know people gradually forgot but it's amazing how they do that and then here she we are 13 years later and she's the new stanley kubrick or she's the new you know whomever but she's really everything has tr- changed so radically well in, i'll in tell you this of- knowing greta gerwig is in it is the first time i've ever wanted to watch that movie <laughs> i never wanted to watch it before but if she's the liza minnelli then maybe i would watch it um, but what's fascinating hmm. so to me... you never me, watched it ever, huh? Never no, saw. no, no. Okay. But what's... Fa- I love the original. I loved it. They'll never make a movie that good ever again. But um, yeah. they just would, would never make that movie today. But um, mm-hmm. I loved the Liza Minnelli character. I loved Arthur. I loved the whole thing. You, you just... That's lightning in a bottle. You can't repeat that. Yeah. But um, what fascinated me about Greta Gerwig was listening... You know, because... As I say, I went down the rabbit hole. I literally watched every interview of her from Barbie and then traced it back. And and maybe because she has two kids, maybe because she has nothing to prove now, whatever it is, her personality changed. And she became probably more like herself, more assertive and non-apologetic. And, um, you know, I, I, I think it's hard to be, you know, not to be this person, but I, I do think it's hard to be a woman rising in a man's business and i think that resentment comes out in barbie a little bit i think it comes out that she's been sort of harboring this frustration of never being seen as and and that's a fair thing to do you know this comes from her own experience she's saying something she knows to be true she went through it i don't blame her for a second for putting that stuff in that's why i don't either i I think she's that's what makes a good director they put what their real feelings are just like you're saying about well that's the thing about barbie is barbie is a very strong statement it's not a weak statement that movie about what you know what she wants out of this world and she basically has said in interviews that Little Women was the movie that was most like her. And I went about trashing Little Women Little Women when it first came out. And I, I definitely wrote articles that said that she was that it was not sexist, why it just wasn't good enough and blah, blah, blah. But mm-hmm. after watching all the interviews with her about Little Women, now I feel bad about that because I didn't realize it was such an important film for her. And that mm. she saw herself in Joe and that it was a, you know, a childhood thing and she really poured her heart into it. And if somebody works that hard on something, you know, I don't think that they should have come out full court press and said, you have to accept this movie. It has to be one of the best films of the year. She has to get a best director nomination. Oh, I hung up. Uh, I, um, what happened is that I thought my computer was plugged in because there are two uh, outlets uh, out here, and I guess it wasn't fully plugged in, and the computer just died oh. right in the middle of our discussion. Oh shit! So uh, it's always something, but there's a. Uh, it's always something. We can just continue it this way. It's you sound fine. No big deal. This is going to be Jeff without yeah. a microphone, people. So um, right. anyway, as I was saying, was um, you know they, they shouldn't have come out and said you have to give this movie a best director best picture because it means so much to Greta Gerwig that's not right yeah. but at the same time i think if i had known how important it was to her 
I always thought Lady Bird was her big biographical movie, and but according to her interviews, it wasn't. She doesn't see herself as Lady Bird, but she does see herself as Joe. And Joe was very right. ambitious, and Joe wanted to be a published author. She didn't want to get married. And right. um, and so Barbie, she decides she doesn't want to be Barbie. Yeah. She wants to be a person. She wants to be creating things, you know. Which, just sidebar, if you look like Margot Robbie and, and you don't want to be in front of the camera and you don't want to be regarded as a, you know, that is sort of also Margot Robbie's story. Like, she's tried to do everything she could to kind of diminish her value in our culture, which is she's a beautiful woman. That's her value. Yeah. But she's tried really yeah. hard to play parts that go against that, you know. Greta Gerwig isn't yeah. a Margot Robbie type at all. Her strength has always been her pers- her goofy personality that she apparently created, which is a brilliant thing to do, and her yeah. ability to write well and to think well and to be funny. You know, she's funny and she's a good writer. And um, I just underestimated her, I will say. And I think a lot of that has to do with the disarming yeah. character she puts forward, you know. That's you know, I was really glad that you sent me the... Uh that W uh, video that she did with Lynn Hirschberg uh, six and a half years ago, almost seven years ago, in March of 17. And um, it just started me on a, a kind of a thought pattern about, do you, does everybody remember what it was like six and a half years ago? Um, uh, it was like the calm before the storm. Uh, Mao's cultural revolution of the 60s and 70s hadn't yet migrated to to this country. It wasn't quite, uh, though. Rem- a- remember, that started before that. The cal- When you want to get to the calm before the storm, you have to go pre-2016. And if you find, you can find so many great Greta Gerwig interviews pre-2016. But, but I agree with you that her 2017 interview in that one that she had was still really good because she was just starting to come up and become a star, you yeah. know, and she wasn't quite there yet. She's not where she is now. Now she's she can write her own ticket. She has the highest grossing film by a woman ever. And yeah. she has a cultural yeah. phenomenon and she did it exactly her right. way. And um and that's yeah. what I call and she's gonna have her third best picture contender with this. So she doesn't have to yeah. do, you know, she doesn't have to she can she can dump the act now, you know. Um, but yes, I, I but hear I, what you're I, you saying. I agree with the uh, thing that you're saying. Everything was calm uh, in 2016. It, it, it was, but let's remember one key thing. Uh, you know, I don't remember there being a real wildfire crackle, crackling electricity in the air until the Harvey Weinstein story that uh, Jody Cantor and Megan Tuey, uh published in the New York Times in early October of 17. That was the thing that really was a, uh, that really signaled um, a big, that was the whole Me Too thing. That's where it all began. Uh, yeah, yeah, because, no, you're... also significant. Remember also that Woody Allen's film, that very same year, in fact, that very, almost that same month, Woody Allen's film, which um, was called Wonder Wheel with Kate, uh, Kate Winslet, um, it was... Um, uh, at the New York Film Festival in early October, just before, right around the time of the uh, New York Times story about Harvey. And um, that nobody said boom. It was nothing it, because it was just another Woody film. There was no big thing. Uh, and, and, and remember that the, that um, 2014 was when the last uh, airing of the uh, 
uh, of the Dylan Farrell thing, and nobody, you know, so it was it was really a different climate. I mean, there was a whole different thing, and yet it all it's it's so completely different now. Uh, six and a half years later, after early October, oh 17. god, yeah, hundred percent. So what I, when I first started to notice that the trajectory of of this bizarre thing was. Uh, the first okay, so Trump won in 2016, but the but he didn't take office until 2017, and so that's when yeah. things really started to get crazy because that was when they decided La La Land was racist, and that it had to be Moonlight because yeah. you had people like Mark Duplass and Ava DuVernay championing Moonlight on social media as the movie that would absolve them of the sins of racism of La. Remember all the articles against Damien Chazelle and. That he, you know, that he he liked jazz and he knew jazz and Ryan Gosling knew jazz. Ryan Gosling did Saturday Night Live at a time when the hive mind was all calling the movie and him racist, if you can recall. And so the next year, the same thing happened with three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. It was called racist and then Shape of Water ended up winning. And then came Green Book, which was the Green Book apocalypse, which was the biggest and scariest thing that ever happened in the Oscar race. And that pretty much changed them forever. After Green Book, the Oscars were changed forever because of that. And so it was all cumulative, but it was heading, bar- all barreling toward the great awakening of 2020, the social justice revolution. Well, well can you, you explain, you're saying that because Green Book, uh, Green, Green Book triumphed and won the Best Picture Oscar, that, the, that put fire in the blood of the, of the woke element. And they've said, that's never going to happen again, and we're going to make sure. Oh, oh, 100%. Yeah, no, it wasn't. I remember driving through L.A. the other day, you know, a couple of years ago or a year ago or something, and, um, you know, they were saying things like, don't green book this movie. It was just, it it entered, you know, it entered this, and the Academy, that's when, you know, it in 2020 is when they put in their inclusivity mandate, um, all of that was happening, like when yep. Parasite won, for instance, Parasite won in 2019, which was right before COVID. And if if Parasite had not won, the winners of all the top Oscars would have been white people because um, 1917, mm-hmm. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, The Irishman were all white people movies and all the acting frontrunners were white. And so in awarding Parasite, which I think is a great movie, I'm not saying it isn't, they ab- they absolved themselves of their sins, and they got great headlines the next day. And so ever since then, every movie that's won has had, like, they basically submitted at that point. They just, like everybody, in 2020, that's why they call it the Great Aw- Awakening, because that revolution that was primarily designed to take Donald Trump out of power, it had incredibly long-lasting yeah. effects on our culture. Because that revolution where I had my niece sending me direct messages saying if I didn't put a black square on my Instagram, she was she was going to have to, you know, sever her ties with me, that kind of thing. And um, and it was black square on your Instagram. What does that mean? You know, during Black Lives Matter, during the summer of 2020, the protests, everybody <laughs> lost their mind. I don't remember black square. Well, you might not use Instagram. I don't, I, yes, I use it. I just didn't give a shit about putting a black. Well, square. I didn't, I didn't either. But I'm telling was. you, well, it was a big deal. It was a big deal. Everybody was everybody was expected to do it, or they'd be called racist. It wasn't just there. It was every every business had to now have a black owned section. Every you know every company had to have a DEI person. Everything changed that year. Everything. 
Um, and and now, right. as you as you posted on your site, it's starting to wind down a little bit. Well, it is starting to wind down because of two significant things, which is one, uh, which we have, we've already discussed. Um, the uh, DEI executives were hired in that in that year. Uh, I mean, it's like almost a coordinated decision by the community. We're going to fire all these people or let them go because we feel we don't need them. I mean, it's too significant to have all the DEI executives, including mm. one for the academy, uh, uh, being let go or basically that that's enough. Like the, the tokenism of that was uh, had been had registered and uh, that they didn't want to take it any further. And there's no escaping or missing the obvious symbolism of, of these executives being let go. And secondly is the thing that Michael Sipley announced, reported uh, very recently, two, three days ago, in which he said that, um, noted that a, uh, the Academy had quietly changed the requirements uh, regarding DEI uh, profiling of movies uh, until very recently you had to submit uh, and, 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 and <clears throat> inform the Academy of all your DEI efforts and how you know what percentage of what of a film were um, you know all white or was it how what extent is it diverse et cetera et cetera and and people basically have the out now they don't have to necessarily do that as long as they are not interested in uh, becoming a best picture uh, contender so it's basically they're saying you don't have to do this anymore we changed our mind we're we're giving you an out now yes there are some films that we're going that are going to watch to be seen as best picture contender. But I, I would submit that in the wake of um, everything everywhere all at once, uh, it's, it's, it's not something that really rings my bell or rings a lot of bells of other people. And I would be totally fine with, uh, you know, I mean, like, for instance, um, the Scorsese film, which everybody is very respectful of, that's probably not going to be that strong of a best picture contender. It'll be in there because of its, uh, you know, portrayal of this horrific episode in the 1920s about the murder of Native Americans for their money. But it's not going to be a strong contender in that respect. The only thing that's really strong about that is um, Lily Gladstone. And she is almost certainly going to be um, is it, do you think she's going to be best supporting or best well, actress? The, I can't the, the pundits all have her in supporting. I would have thought lead, but everybody that I see has her in supporting. Um, so she's going to have to have a much of a performance. I'm telling you, it's one thing she does. She glares at the bad guys. She 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 looks at them, saying, "I know what you're doing. I know that you're evil people, and I'm not going to be." Uh, she's never given a big speech. She's never given a big, you know, I've had it. This is what I'm really feeling. I'm going to dredge it all up. She just kind of hangs in there and glares at people. There's not much. In, so it's, it's really smart to just keep it to supporting. And the symbolism of her of being the first Native American um, actor in a big movie is going to be sufficient to put her in. So, Well, I think that I, I, I think now that the front runner and the supporting is mm-hmm. America Ferreira from Barbie, personally. Um, I don't know if it's going to be between those two women, at least for now. I mean, we still have, we have to say, we have mm. so many more movies coming out. We have all of Venice, and all those movies are coming out in Venice, and like The Killer, right. and um, mm. Maestro, and what else is there in Venice? Um, I don't know, a bunch of them. Anyway. We'll be there, no? 
and then yeah, and then we have we have Telluride, which is running concurrent with Venice, and we don't know what those lineup that lineup's going to be. We know that Toronto's coming right after that, so our busy yeah. award season is coming up, right? It's yeah. not it's not in the past. It's just that we have these two really strong movies that feel zeitgeisty, mm-hmm. and the right the right. actors writers strike is taking celebrities off the circuit, which means it's harder. It's going to be harder for them to campaign to get their films in front runner status. So that's going yeah. to be um, tricky. Let me just ask you a, a direct question that I just came to mind. Uh, amongst the people who are total believers in, in the symbolism of uh, acting nominations and, and Oscars, uh, not so much being about how good they are, but about ratifying the DEI movement and, and you know, kind of stating to world and to the industry that that's what matters to us identity is what is what is the thing that really counts um do you think that they like say that to each other when they're deciding who like um i think personally that it hang on a second let's wait for my dog to stop barking okay i don't know what he's barking about but let's just wait a minute no, what I've what I've what I've been discovering lately is that it's all hive mind stuff, right? So if you look at yeah. film Twitter, something Facebook, and all these people, these fa- these Oscar voters, they pick up on the hive mind, what they think, and what the everybody around them thinks, right? So um, mm-hmm. if you go how people feel about America Ferrera winning, you'll see whether she wins at the Golden Globes or the Critics' Choice or whatever, and how that feels to people. Like I think when Kate Blanchett last year was going to win for Tar, which, mm-hmm. you know, I think that, that in her speeches and in her wins, she showed that she didn't really want the award. She didn't show up at the Golden Globes and yeah. Michelle Yeoh won in, in comedy. And then at the mm-hmm. Critics' Choice, her speech was very strange. It was like, I don't really want this. You know, it should go to somebody else. You know, I've already won two of these awards. And, you know, she was... And she even brought up Andrea Riseborough and Yeah. And everybody in the industry had it wanted Michelle Yeoh to win. You could right. just feel it heading into the Oscars, you know. So it became less about who's the best and more about who how do we feel about this vote. Mm-hmm. Which is exactly what happened with Everything Everywhere and exactly what happened with Nomad Land. You can't tell me that that movie, Nomad Land was the kind of movie that inspires a rapture, like the greatest movie that deserved to win Best Picture. It was a fine movie, but what excited people was woman of color winning. Sure. The making yeah. history of it, the Barack Obama as the first black president. That that's what mm. they're looking for. They're chasing that high. So they All want, right. you know, they want that's what I was saying in my my column that I wrote on Friday about predictions. I say, what's gonna make you feel better you know what's going to bring people to their feet Greta Gerwig winning for best director or Christopher Nolan winning for best director or anybody who isn't Greta Gerwig right they're going to want to award her because it feels good to award her of course so that's what I mean by that and I think that that's what drives a lot of these things they instinctually know after Green Book and the punishment that followed that if they stick yeah. with a person of color or they stick with a woman, nobody's going to scream at them. Right. That's it. You know? So they're, they're, they're after their own protection. Yep. So, um, so basically it means that the awards 
for the most mm. part, are meaningless, which is a drag. That's my point. I, I, I think they're so meaningless and so predictable and so um, identity-focused that it's not, you know, the, the, the people that are in, that are feel deeply and very strongly about identity being a driving factor. That's fine for them, but that's a relatively small community, more or less industry-centric, whereas most people that watch movies and may have a kind of passing interest in who wins, they're basing it upon the traditional criteria of how good was the performance, how, you know, how, how um, um, moving and how, how, how uplifting or whatever, how touching the performance was. And that's the way most people see these things. But the hive minders, they're really just seeing it from a political perspective. Yeah. And, and from, so it's not, it, you know. from inside the bubble, right? Hollywood has yeah. become like a royal court. It's its own yeah. little, you know, walled-off castle that has nothing right. to do with the real world at all in any way. But inside yeah. the royal court, you can imagine what an Oscar ceremony would look like inside the royal court, right? They all care about what they think inside the bubble. They don't care about what people outside of it think. Yeah. If I was Greta Gerwig, I would want to win with people thinking I deserve to win because the movie was good, not because they want to award good job, honey, you know. But I, I do think that... She's worthy of winning for for this. I think Christopher Nolan's more worthy. But you've totally convinced me. She's going to win Best Director. I don't see any way around that. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. You can't. It's just like the you know. You just sometimes you hit on it, you know, and and that's it. And then you know that's how it's going to go. Yeah. Because there's no other person that that they're going to want to watch take her down. Um, They don't want to give to a to a brilliant white guy who everybody recognizes. Never. Very very. They're not going to give it to Alexander Payne because he's white and he's male. So that's that's not it. a chance. I mean, it, it, yeah, you know, they're not going mean, to. It could happen here and there. Uh, one or some odd, you know, critical group or whatever. No, and because listen, when the press machine starts with Greta, remember the press machine for Little Women. Remember how I wrote that one dissenting article about yes. that sexism, that narrative is going to come home to roost this year when she's on her third Best Picture nomination. Barbie becomes the highest-grossing film of all time. It is a phenom. I can't even argue against it winning because I know that it would be good for the Oscars and good for the industry for a big movie like that to finally win, you know? So I can't sit here and be negative about it, you know? Yeah. I don't want to be negative at all. I mean, if it happens for her, I think it's great. It's really good. Good for the industry, not just her, but good for theatrical, good for the whole game. You know, it's a really good thing if it happens. Absolutely, and it's I, a good um, thing. It's it's more yeah. it's it's more exciting than for that movie to win if it does win. That that takes me all the way back to my first year when Gladiator won. You know, when a big movie that everybody knew about, and then they're all included in the Oscars, and that's all I've been talking about for the last... So I couldn't then be a hypocrite and say, don't vote for this movie. I would never do that. Also, the other thing about Greta Gerwig that I didn't know before I did my rabbit hole was that she's a major Mm -hmm. Oscar geek. She used to have Oscar parties where she dressed up in fancy clothes... (laughs) Um, I didn't know that. Like, yeah, there was a picture of her in this talk show where she used to have Oscar parties. She loves the Oscars. So for her to yeah. win or for her to... And apparently the the morning of... And I feel like such a terrible human being because all I did was dump on her and Noah Baumbach during that year. 
Um, and I didn't know how much it meant to them. You know, that's what humanizing can do to you if you once you hear about. She says that they woke up in the morning and they were like, you know, they had their baby in bed with them and they mm-hmm. were like talking about how they would console the other one if they didn't get a Best Picture nomination, you know. It was actually a really funny mm-hmm. interview because she was saying like, you know, he was saying, that's okay, we'll just, you know, they, they made jokes about what if one gets in and the other doesn't and then they both got in and how great for them. I mean, you just mm-hmm. you kind of get cynical about the Oscars if you cover them long enough. But when you when you come across someone like that that's really excited about the Oscars, and then they win, like I mean, for her that's like a you know her whole fairy tale fantasy is complete mm-hmm. because she's got the guy she loves, she's got the two kids, she's got the highest grossing film of all time, and then for her to win an Oscar on top of that, that's quite a life before you know right as she hits forty. You know that's that's impressive. Yeah. Um, why do you so. why do you say highest grossing film of all time? Be, I mean, by a woman, by a woman. High- Sorry, by a woman, by a woman. Yeah, yeah. D- directed by a woman. That's what I mean. That's um, yeah. So that's um, it, it. Kind of kills the suspense of the rooting factor, or the intrigue, <laughs> whatever you call it. The whole fall thing is when it all is supposed to start, and it feels kind of deflating on a certain level. That uh, it seems so um, likely that she's well, going to prevail. Well, pe- people love her so much that I don't see a negative story blooming. But if there was one, it would be, you know, the girl from Past Lives, the director from Past Lives deserves it because she's a woman of color. That would be the only thing I can think of that would. But I feel like even the wokesters love Greta Gerwig. And so they're not yeah. going to diminish her at all. I think everybody's going to be really happy to see her winning i think it's one mm-hmm. of those things where it's like when kihi kwan kept winning every award it's like you, it feels so good to see them win because they're so happy to win and now that yeah. i know that greta gerwig is this major oscar geek winning is going to be mm-hmm. such a big deal to her then it's going to it is going to be fun to watch her win you know yeah it's going to be yeah. fun and i you know i'm not going to sit here and say she doesn't deserve it i'm just not going to do it because i do think she does she deserves it as much as as chloe Zhao deserved it in 2020 you know what i mean like we can't keep saying people yeah. deserve oscars when we watch the way that they've been handed out for the past few years you know i think that also past lives uh, you know the that card was uh um um woman of color, uh, Asian descent, uh, South Korean, um, uh, wins, possibly wins. And I, I think that we've already done that with Chloe Zhao, and uh, we certainly did that uh, as far as the South Korean director with Parasite. So I don't think there's, uh, if anything, uh, if there's a loser or someone who gets a kind of, um, you know, his their likelihood of being a prominent contender has been diminished uh, by Barbie, it's this one. So, so past lives, I think, is kind of over. You know, I think yeah. it, it will get respectful mentions, but I don't think it's going to. Uh, I think whatever headwind it had, that's kind of gone now, or has diminished certainly. So. Well, I'll tell you this: they have a huge opportunity, the Oscars, to put something through that everybody has seen and most people really love. You know, do they think it's a great movie? No, not really. But does that matter? No, not really. You know. A Rocky. Rocky was a really good movie, but was it a great movie? I don't know. I don't know if Rocky mm-hmm. was My Fair Lady a great movie. It was fine, you know. Like that was a very dodgy, very God. That movie is so no. It's complete. 
it didn't have any real life. It was just, it felt like it weighed 50 tons. It was just not a, you know, it, was, no, it had exactly. that stamp of jet. But for the Oscars, uh, it's, it's better for them to capture a Zeitgeist movie and, and award it Best Picture because Best Picture doesn't just mean what the elites of film Twitter thought. You know, it, it's supposed yeah. to mean the movie that, you know, and, and she can sit here and say that she brought all of these people, like you said, the first person to go to the theater since um, since the pandemic. She ha- She has that now. Mm-hmm. You know, she's got that Top Gun Maverick thing and... Um, and good for her. And I, I feel like best picture should be that. It should be more populist and less elitist, in my opinion. So, can we talk about briefly what your um, plans are for you know, for getting to tell your eye this year? You're going to uh, do your usual two day drive, which is, is uh, we all have that memorized. Mm. You drive from Los Angeles to Flagstaff, Arizona, and then uh, that takes you a pretty pretty good what seven eight nine hours ten hours something like that and then you stay in flagstaff and then your remaining track and you get to tell your ride what sometime in the mid to late afternoon correct well i'm determined this year to leave early and we never do i always like to leave because the thing i like to do when i go to hotels is i like to sit in the bed and write and do my thing for a while and then get out at like a checkout time Uh 11 o'clock but to get to tell you right mm-hmm. early, we have to leave early. So we have to leave at like seven or eight. And I say we because Michael always comes with me. And mm-hmm. um, and he, you know, he likes to get up there early. Yeah. Michael is my friend, my lifelong friend, um, who loves mm-hmm. going to Telluride. And, and that's one of the main reasons I even go to Telluride is because he likes to go so much. It's like the one thing he looks okay. forward to throughout the whole year. Um. Mainly so it's you, Michael, the dogs, and who else is coming? Well, for us, that's us. Just, you know, me and Michael. The only hard decision I have to make is whether or not I'm going to rent a car. I usually don't drive my car um, because mm-hmm. I like to keep the miles low, you know, because I was thinking of reselling it. But um, but I, I'm not sure what I'm going to do this year in terms of that. It depends on how expensive the rental rental cars are going to be, you know. So, uh, so that's... The rentals went up during the pandemic, way up, and I don't think that they have decided to rescind them and take them back to more reasonable rates. It's pretty, so pretty, pretty uh, pricey to rent a car these days. Yeah, no? I know, and it seems like I mean it's a write-off for me, obviously, because it's it's for business, and yeah. and I like I like having a rental car because I don't like to tap to put wear and tear on my car. I prefer to keep it. In good condition, which it is right now, but um, but anyway, so mm. we're getting up there to the to Telluride to the condo, and Clarence will be mm. there, and Mark will be there, and you will be there, all of us staying in this condo. And mm-hmm. um, I haven't seen it; I only have pictures. I think I think that there's a stairs nightmare at this place. Like, I think there's <laughs> like no, I really do, and and I I only know because my dog Jack has a hard time with stairs, so. But I think there's like oh. three flights of stairs in this apartment. Like I think it's a, a vertical building. I don't know. Okay. We'll see when we get there. Um, and it's on the Palm Theater side of town. You know. I like that of town. I think that's kind of nice. Yeah, me too. I like any you know. part of Telluride. It's all beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Every side of town there. But I, I re- I've always really liked sitting in the Palm. Um, mm-hmm. 
And, you know, because Telluride is, you know, it's a town, like the, the Palm Theater is basically the school auditorium for their high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only real theater theater is the Werner Herzog Theater. The other ones that's, are all, you know. Telluride is a, and that's, of course, not a permanent theater. It's just a converted and it's a, it's a beautiful uh, venue. It's big. It's got wonderful sound. The screen is quite large. It's really quite the. That's the best way you can see a movie during that festival. Is oh that yeah, without a doubt. And it's it's just so amazing to see a movie there. You really it really does make a difference what kind of a theater you see a movie in, and you know what your experience is. If you're uncomfortable, there's a pretty good chance that you know it's going to diminish your your like of a movie. Right. Um, and it is, we should say, Telluride's 50th anniversary this year. So Yeah. And okay. one extra day. So it's starting. The uh, picnic, the brunch, the patrons' brunch begins Thursday morning, not Friday morning, which is the usual thing. So there's one extra day. And um, Patrons' never- brunch without celebrities. Yeah, that's right. Zero. I mean, I guess they can technically be there, but I think that even showing up at a brunch is, would be considered promotion because yeah. they know. Uh, so that they're probably not going to be anybody there. Uh, the only people that could be there that that have uh, that have no worries or no concerns are maybe uh, people who like to just go for the festival itself and have nothing particular to plug. Let's say if Alejandro Gonzalez Iñárritu, if he shows up, he has nothing going on this year, so he could do it. But uh, or Harrison Ford technically, or the Obamas. Uh, they can go because they're not actors, so they can they can show up if they want, right? Yeah, yeah, but I don't think they will. No. I mean, you I don't go either. Okay. Well, because it's such a a Secret Service nightmare for them. You know, I remember when they everybody was talking about Hillary Clinton maybe going, and and everybody was like, "No way! Are you kidding? That that's a you know that for for her it would have been bad, but for a former president like that's you have to shut down the whole town basically, <laughs> like." Um, you can't. He can't just show up there if a, the former president of the United States is showing up in Telluride like that. That requires a major. If you're anybody but obviously Trump, Trump will just go anywhere. But um, but I don't think the Obamas would. But maybe Obama. I would just say, listen, can we just ease up on this a little bit, please? I mean, because I really want to be able to have a semblance of, of a life. I know I'm not ever going to have a, uh, an actual normal life, but I really like the idea. And I think you can hear what I'm saying of not being uh, making such a, a military exercise whenever I go somewhere. I, I never. No, he can't, man. Look at all. Did you know that like four U.S. presidents have been assassinated? I would never. I mean, he can't. You know, his his um, his life is always being threatened. He can't. He can't just show up somewhere. You know, presidents can't just show up somewhere. They have to be protected. All of them. That's part of the part of the gig. You know. Um, well, what about the um, fact that Telluride is a very restricted community? It doesn't have any riffraff. Um, you know, you can't get into the um, the, the patrons' brunch unless you're just you know, imagine. You've been imagine if Barack Obama was going to the patrons' brunch. Just mm-hmm. imagine what that would look like. Like there would be like fifty black SUVs on the hill. Yeah. You know, Secret Service people checking everybody coming in. Everybody has to do a weapons check. You know, like, it's just not feasible. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that we did see him and Michelle partying it down in some place with Bruce Springsteen. So they do go yep. on vacation. 
you know. I believe that was at a concert or something. Yeah, I mean, probably he has bodyguards all around him. Um, I think they're going to be doing publicity for Rustin. That's We're talking about the movie that comes from their yeah. company called Rustin, about the gay... No, her, her company is not called Rustin. No, no, the movie's called Rustin. Higher Ground is their company. Right. Higher right. Ground. Um, yeah. and, and so, yeah, that movie's probably going to do well. I slipped it into my best picture predictions because of that, because of the Obamas. Um, it's got two boxes stacked, um, historical figure of color and also gay man. So that's right. That's double, double your money, double your woke money there. <laughs> um, we're going to get screamed at by your commenters if we continue down that road. So, um, but it's true that there are these boxes are checked. That's what they look for. That's what, you know, a certain part of the, uh, of, of the community looks for. What right. But if I, let's just say, for instance, I said to you, why is it, you know, why a friend of somebody that I know, I won't say who it is, but they said no. to me, why is everything so gay all of a sudden, you know? And, um, and if I say I would like things to be less gay and have some straight sex and straight love stories coming in the movies and um, someone would say someone would take that and say you know sasha stone says a movie should all be less gay like i'm sure that would be fun for them mm-hmm. to you know decide that i said that but you know i sent you that snow white thing where rachel zegler was saying that that the prince and snow white was a stalker and they weren't going to have a love story why not why not fairy because, tales uh- the community, the woke community, doesn't want traditional love stories. They don't want to, you know, satisfy or, or, or appeal to people that are looking at the traditional stuff because that is over as far as they're concerned. God, why? And why would you want to take the joy out of life? That's taking the joy. Love. That's, that's kind of what they're about these days. They're not. They're certainly not about bringing traditional, um, you know, traditional satisfactions uh, that are based upon, you know, happy endings, people falling in love, that kind of thing. That's totally out as you know. But I also so. think it's weird how they celebrate when someone makes a confessional like uh, I think they I saw on Twitter Uma Thurman saying she's bisexual or so and so saying they're pan or whatever it is. It's like mm-hmm. everybody celebrates. Yes, it's like it's like I am, you know, it's like somebody, I don't know, just got baptized. You know, it's the weirdest yeah. thing like so what? You know, what why is that preferable now? You know, why, why is this a thing to celebrate as opposed to just being a normal person out there? You know, a normie, as they say, who is, you know, heterosexual, who would love to sit down and see a romantic comedy or a fairy yeah. tale. What, what do they think The Bachelor is? Why do they think The Bachelor is such a popular show? Because it's a, it's a fairy tale. You know, women like the fairy tale. We just do. So why take that away? I would never see Snow White if it wasn't about the fairy tale, you know? What's the point? The vast majority of people feel exactly the same way, you know? I don't know how you modernize it in a way that just so it doesn't feel sappy in their eyes, but that's what people are interested. That's what I'm interested in. I can. I, I would like to see something that doesn't look like it was made, as Rachel Zegler said. It's not 1937 anymore. Of course it's not, and I would would feel okay about a movie that wanted to update it or in some way make it something that that touches the way life is like these days and the way we see the things but it's um the idea of just saying uh, we're not going to have we we want a woman who's a a leader you know we don't want the you know snow white to to find uh 
to find, you know, kind of any kind of personal happiness, any kind of personal fulfillment or being saved or being brought out of a coma by a kiss. That's a very, you know, sappy but romantic thing we all kind of remember. Oh, it's weird. Yeah. But that's out. That's completely out. And it's, again, it's that small community of people who want uh, to redefine the way things are versus the vast majority of people out there with their popcorn in their laps. And they kind of are okay with the emotional uh, satisfactions, you know, that we are used to. It's, it's one of so, the things women have have turned to the movies for going all the way back to the 1930s. Do you think that that character in Purple Rose of Cairo, Mia Farrow, uh, wasn't happy mm-hmm. to go see a, a love story where she's rescued and, and, and you know, meets her dream man and, and, and whisked away and... You know, I mean, and that is a fantasy for women that's never going away. It wasn't manufactured by movies. It's not sexist. It's just something that women like to be swept off their feet. All women love that, you know, and um, and to make that such somehow a bad thing or we have to sit there and listen to some screeching, scolding feminist in a movie that's supposed to be about a love story is just losing Hollywood money by the minute. And if they want to make money, they Mm -hmm. should they should ixnay on the you know screeching scolds and allow women to have a little bit of fun for goodness sake i think that you're right that i think that snow white is not going to be much of a hit i think that most people have smelled what it's up to and i don't think they're particularly interested i'd be surprised genuinely surprised if it was any kind of big hit uh, i think that it's the the signals have gone out the message is understood this is going to do you know Basically, woke Snow White. I think the vast majority of people are going to say, I mean, except for people that are with kids, of course, everything changes when you have little girls. And, uh, well, I, I, I think that um, they, with Barbie, they kept it all under wraps for a really long time, which was smart of them. And part of the reason why the movie made so much money, I think if if yeah. if they were out there flapping their gums about feminism, this and that. Um, and mm-hmm. people heard that they talk about that in that way, the actors and stuff. I think it. Margot Robbie was out there saying, "We're going to do a, we're going to remake uh, Barbie. Barbie's not going to be, you know, just a pretty doll. She's and she's, you know, she's going to leave the, you know, she doesn't like men anymore. She wants to go yeah. have a career. You know, if she had yeah. done that, nobody would have wanted to see that movie. Well, incidentally, anybody in any conversation online, in real life, anywhere. Who says it's just a doll movie? That person is immediately oh, discounted I hate that. in I my. Hate that. But people keep, and Joe Rogan said it, and some others have said it. It's a doll. Whoopi Goldberg said that, and I said that's so disingenuous. Why would you say something like that? But you they, mean are they saying it like, who, why are you getting so upset? It's just a doll movie like that, or are they saying I don't like it because it's a doll yeah, movie? You're reading too much into it. You're not. You're getting too shook up by the metaphorical implications and so which is what the movie is about of course it's all about symbolism and metaphors and you know it's not a doll movie for god's no, sake no i mean and you, you they, can't have it both ways you can't say this is an important yeah. movie and it's such a big deal and women are crying and it you know that monologue means so much and it's a feminist you can't have all the good press if you're not also going to accept all the bad press about it you know it's not fair oh, uh, Greta, in her W thing, way back when, in March of 17, she mentioned crying uh, at uh, Moonlight. And my immediate thought was, what's to cry about? Uh, other than that poor little 
um, kid when he's you know eight years old or nine years old being picked on, bullied by his schoolmates because he's they see him as wussy, you know, kind of sissy type. Um, that's not something we'd necessarily cry about. I mean, it's like kids are cruel. We all know that's that. Not I, the, I, I, didn't I mean, I think you missed the, the point because you said that you checked out on the last. The reason that Greta Gerwig cried at Moonlight and the reason it won Best Picture was because he mm-hmm. comes out at the end of the movie, just like Ken comes out at the end of Barbie. And then, like I told you, this is a, a rite of passage. It's like a baptism. It's, you know, you are saved. Uh. You know, you are saved. You know what I mean? You're saved if you, if you come out. And he does. He comes out at the end, and there's that lovely scene between him and this guy, and they're, you know, they're, he's making him dinner, and there's that music and everything, and this guy's finally happy. It's basically Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know he's this he's you know he's this black man who grows up in a macho culture you know culture of, of masculinity who who you know has been rejecting his gayness until he finally come to terms with it at the end and so she's crying because mm-hmm. that's their you know that that that's the core of the religion on the left I was I was crying too I loved Moonlight I was so happy when it won I don't think anything bad about Moonlight it's just that Moonlight and yeah. Barbie. A little are, problem with that, though, because Trevante Rhodes is not a believable manifestation of the first two versions of that character. The little wimpy kid and the wimpy teenager were the same person. Trevante Rhodes is a is a macho, muscular guy who's been working out. He's all built up, and he has no vest, no no remnants of that person that he was when he was younger. So I, I completely just sat there and said, "I'm not buying this. I, this is bullshit." Yeah, but well, I but I. Lo- related to the first two chapters because, you know, I, I understood and believed what was happening both to the poor kid. But um, yeah, no, I, don't I get know what, what you're saying. They, it they, was cool to, they didn't pick a huh? macho looking guy for the younger versions of him. And so it didn't really make all that much sense. But um, people can change. I, you know, they can, they can physically change like that. Um, you're, you're wimpy and slender and wimpy looking and you have that kind of vibe about you. You don't become this kind of studly, you know, prison yard guy who lifts weights and all that. I'm sorry. I don't buy it. I know? have seen <laughs> that happen before in, in a shocking way. I can't remember who it was exactly, but I have seen someone go from really small and thin like that to, to ballooning up like a Hulk type figure when they're older. Um, but, uh, reach. But, but my point is that with Moonlight and with Barbie and, and the complaints against mm. Barbie and the man hating stuff, is that Barbie's yeah. not in, it's not being released in a vacuum. It's being released at a time of extreme man hating throughout culture and a crisis for men and masculinity yeah. being shamed and diminished and men not really knowing what to do with themselves and feeling lost. It doesn't just appear out of nowhere. It's not just a woman's story, the story of mm. humanity, the story of all of us is the story of men and women, you know. But this new right. new woke version is white, male, patriarchy, bad, everything mm-hmm. else good. Barbie in a vacuum, to me, is not that big of a deal. But Barbie coming out in 2023 is tells you everything about 2023. Um, yeah. But and all of that said, a lot of conservatives really like Barbie. It's not just a movie for the left. It wouldn't be making that kind of money if it was only appealing to people. On the left, it definitely has a, a crossover. Also getting 
lot of repeat business from from younger women. Also, I, I, I believe that something that really connects gets the repeat business. They want to see the it again. The repeat business their- for gay men too. It's very much a gay thing. That movie. Yeah. Yeah. You know. All right. Uh, so yeah. I'm seeing them doing the dances on TikTok from the movie. You know, mm-hmm. when something hits TikTok, when it saturates TikTok, you know it's going to be huge. Yeah. Um, and if it never hits TikTok, then nothing. But both Barbie and Oppenheimer, because of Barbenheimer, hit TikTok. Yeah. But especially Barbie, because Barbie fits right into it. It's a musical, you know, and so everybody can do the dance. Mm. And, mm. Um, and, and you know, it's, it's, our culture is driven mostly by gay men. Wait a minute. Our culture is mostly driven by gay men. I think so. Um, yeah, especially movies and Hollywood. Yeah, I do. I think it's it's become they've become the dominant voice, especially with the Oscars and especially with film. It's not the you know the hetero men have been asked to step aside and to decenter themselves yeah. for marginalized groups, and so men are still taking charge. <laughs> they just happen to be gay men. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so funny. But, I think if you were from. Um, Planet Betelgeuse, and you came down. You were a sentient. You had mastered the English language and everything else. <clears throat> and you watched, and your understanding of um, of the way culture is, particularly in this country, is derived solely from watching films and whatnot. And uh, you would be under the distinct impression that the that the gay population is like maybe half. Of yes, the, of abs- the, of, that's uh, what I mean with the representation. Absolutely. And it's not. It's a small percentage of people who are, because they don't care about anybody outside the royal court anymore. Um, and, and gay people, you know, and trans people, um, you know, have been, ele- and people of color have been elevated in culture yep. with this reversed hierarchy. But one of the right. smartest lines in Barbie is when she says, when, when the guy at, the, at the, some corporation says, we're just doing this as an act. It's not really true. He says something like, it's hard to be a white man. He's like, well, not really. We're just pretending for now. We're just hiding uh-huh. it better or something like that. And to an extent, that's true, right? The people at the top are still very white and very male, period, the end. Mm-hmm. But they do hide it. They use wokeness as a mask or a shield to, to you know, mm-hmm. to, 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 to show yeah. the world. And that's what the Oscars are about now. The Oscars are about that shield mm-hmm. of protection, you know. On that note, on that it's note, it's a very, very stage thing. But uh, since we've gone another ninety minutes, and um, since I'm getting hot sitting here in the okay. park, by the way, I had to leave that restaurant I was sitting in because they turned the the music back on. Sorry, oh, so that's what I've been. I'm wandering around the parking lot as we speak. All right. Well, it was nice talking with you, and um, yeah. we yeah. didn't we didn't do your travel plans for Telluride. Well, my travel plans have been uh, uh, exhaustively detailed in a recent piece. Basically, what it's is that I really don't care for uh, the Montrose experience, which is what most people do. I, for years, I was a Durango guy. I would fly into into Durango, which is a cute little town, rent a car, and then have a nice, pleasant two two and a half hour drive to tell you right which is delightful i mean it really feels good to do that and i wanted to uh, but i don't like going into montrose and sitting in a van with all these people staring at their phones and mm. you know i just like to kind of stretch my legs and feel the adventure of a new place and have the freedom to pull over when i want to and take a picture or something you know? yeah i got you so the idea was to, so i'm going to santa fe 
Uh, I, my, I mean, I was going to go to Santa Fe, but I won't go into the details of why that's screwed up. But I'm basically not very smart or I don't use a lot of foresight in these uh, purchasing of air tickets. Anyway, so I changed the whole thing and I'm now flying into Albuquerque, which is just a little bit closer. And it's uh, five hours and 25 minutes or something to tell you ride. And I'm looking very much for it because it's actually a very pleasant drive and it's kind of wide open. And, and, and I like all the little two you know nickel and dime towns that you go through it's kind of cool yeah so i'm glad doing that and i by the way i did speak to not to get again too particular but there's a woman who uh, works for the rental agency that has your condo and they said we can get you uh you'll have a parking pass uh and all you have to do is just tell us the license plate tell us all the particulars and uh you know tell us what dates and just tell us as you're just arriving and you won't be have to worry about getting a ticket or anything. So. Oh, good. I have to do that, too, because I'm not sure what kind of car I'll be driving. Okay. Unless they already give me a pass. I don't know. She just said, as long as you just give us everything, take a picture of your license plate, send it, you know, just all the particulars, and you'll be okay. Are just, you talking just, about accommodations at Telluride, that place? Yeah. Yes. Okay, good. But yeah, I'll talk to them. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to it because I love being in the mountains. It's fun, yeah. but that's about it. <laughs> no, I'm just mm-hmm. kidding. Um, I'm sure it's going to be great. Uh, the movies, you know, we're lucky. You know, we're lucky. We're privileged and lucky. So it's nice. And to- it is going to be just a movie festival. It's not going to be a slub thing at all. It's not going to be Q and A's. No, nothing. It's just purely yeah. you know, go from one movie to the other. And that's fine. So I mean, there's, they're still going to have parties, but they're not going to have like what they had last year, which was like Kate Blanchett at that restaurant, you know, with a yeah. bunch of people fawning all over her and that's not going to happen. So yeah, I guess we'll, we'll see ask. how it goes. Enjoy your Sunday. You Love too. Talking. Nice talking to you. All right. Take care. Bye bye. You've taken my disguise You want me to be just me Now I'm ready, life You forced me back to basics I have lost my instincts My back Like thunderbolts, we must.